0: 496 days. That's how long this election campaign has officially lasted. And on Tuesday, it all comes to an end. Four more years of Donald Trump or a new start with Joe Biden. Welcome to this pre-election special of the Meridian podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, it's just me today, actually. Eve sends her love. She's super, super busy over in Germany. She's just started a new job placement. So she couldn't make it on this episode. But as I say, she sends her love. She'll be back very, very soon. So I'm afraid you got me, just me. I'm presenting solo today. So if I waffle for the whole episode, I'm really, really sorry. But, you know, I, prom- I promise Eve is coming back. It's not just me forever. Um, we, we've got a huge week. This week, all around the world, for so many reasons. Um, For listeners in the UK, obviously, the weekend saw the really, really significant news that Boris Johnson is asking England to go back into a national coronavirus lockdown. Of course, that follows over a month of them sticking to this regional tiered system, which they seemed very confident in. And then on Friday night, it got leaked to the newspapers that... A change was coming and that they were going to follow the sage advice and lock down. So, that's obviously going to have huge personal I- impacts on everyone and political ones. Um, we have just receiving in the sort of the last two hours reports of a potential terrorist incident in Vienna. Obviously, not going to comment on that at all, but thoughts with anyone caught up in that. Um, but of course, the biggest story of the week, potentially is going to turn into the biggest story of the year, is that the US presidential election concludes this week, um, or does it? <laughs> we'll come on to that. So yeah, this is this is the biggest story of the week, w- without a doubt. This is This election, as all do, will have impacts on domestic policy, foreign policy. The results of this election might even be legally contested by politicians. It's it's kind of I know they always say this, but it's kind of like no other le- election we've seen. It's, it's going to be a strange one. Um, so we thought, instead of listening to me rambling for an hour, because trust me, no one wants that we get a panel of guests together, as always. We've got some great people, including a uh, guest from America. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves. We had a great chat about loads and loads of issues affecting the election. Even some sort of gut feeling predictions towards the end. Um, But yeah, it was a really interesting chat. Take a listen. So guys, thank you so much for coming. Um, We're really, really excited to have you all here on the Meridian podcast. Um, Just to let the listeners know, we're recording this on Monday evening. So the eve of polling day, UK time. Um, So people are probably listening to this either on election day or, you know, maybe even later in the week when many, many things will have happened. So who knows through what lens people are going to be listening to this, but that's for a bit of context. Um, Could I get you to just introduce yourselves? We've got three guests on today's podcast. Um, Just give us your name, where you're from, why you're on the podcast, what your main interests are. We'd love to get to know you a bit. Gabe if you go first. Uh, yeah sure so um, my name is Gabriel
1: Matanis. Um I am currently a fourth year student at Oxford Uni studying uh, German and Greek and um, yeah I suppose um, like a lot of people this US election is pretty consequential so uh, ties in with um, <laughs> with I suppose a, a general interest in politics but especially sort of over the last uh, well, few weeks or so.
0: Yeah absolutely, Michael? I'm Mike,
2: I am a second year politics student at uh, Durham University, uh, originally from Manchester and I'm really excited to be on this podcast as well. Lovely, and Emma? Uh,
3: My name's Emma and I'm from outside of uh, Chicago in Illinois in the US uh, but I attend college at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio and I'm majoring in history and political science so uh, I've got a real big interest in this election. uh, And I'm very anxious about the results.
0: Absolutely, that's going to be so interesting to get your perspective. Um, Obviously, just as an aside, also thank you very much in particular for joining us because time differences. It's been a bit of a logistical nightmare. You've just come out of a class. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, So in lots of presidential campaigns, the the issues of policy sometimes get quite overlooked and you know whilst this campaign has been similar in that there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of name calling rather than actual substantive discussion about issues there is one difference in that the issue of COVID-19 has dominated the campaign in a way that I wasn't certain it would when COVID-19 first came around Um, Emma I've got to start with you on this on the issue of COVID, I'm not asking you to speak for the American people, but what do you pick up is the general sense from people, perhaps it differs among age groups, and of course it will differ among around the country, but what is the general sense that you get from your fellow Americans about how President Trump has handled this crisis?
3: Yeah, so this is actually a really good question, and it's something that I've been talking about a lot this semester with my friends, uh, with my family, in my classes. Um, I generally, like I, I'll just say right now, I voted for President, Bi- or for Vice President Biden, who will hopefully be elected president. Um, and that's sort of the majority of my social circle too. So that's sort of how my perspective has been influenced. But um, generally the sense is that Trump has really, really crisis. Um, I mean, it's just, it's sort of hard to even articulate the frustration that I have, uh, that a lot of my friends have, that my professors have um, with how he has handled the crisis with the misinformation that he's promoted regarding COVID. Um, I mean, even today, he's been threatening to fire uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, who's the uh, infectious diseases expert who's been uh, advising him on a lot of this stuff if he wins the election. I mean, um, I, I attend Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, which is, uh, we hosted the first pre- presidential debate. Um, and even I heard anecdotal stories from, from friends of mine who were in the debate hall or who knew people who were in the debate hall where um, the president's family were refusing to put on masks. And uh, I mean, you saw on TV, like the vice president's, Biden's wife put on a mask and Trump's wife, Melania did not. And then shortly after the debate, Trump was diagnosed with COVID. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit here but not um, not at all (laughs) but he the sense is that he's really mishandled the crisis Um, although when I listen to the news when I when I read articles uh, to sort of get his supporters perspective they sort of feel that he's not to blame for the COVID crisis um, because it's not his fault that it came here that he's been doing a spectacular job of managing it uh, with which I emphatically disagree
0: yeah um Mike, if I can come to you, these lines that President Trump puts out about China being entirely to blame for COVID, you know, he calls it the China virus. Every time he discusses COVID in any context, he mentions that it came from China. Obviously, we know the virus originated in China, but how much do you think that these lines about the China virus he's also said used much more perhaps derogatory uh, terms for it which I won't repeat now but how much do you think that these lines cut through to voters?
2: Well they definitely cut through to his base but I don't think they get to the general population who just see Covid as just this terrifying reality that even his sort of constant lying he can't really disparage it's just so present in everyone's present in everyone's lives that I think his campaign have really struggled to try and deflect attention away from his own mishandling of the virus, even calling it. I think he called it. Well, we won't repeat what he said. But he has said a lot of derogatory things um, about the virus and its links to China. Um, but I just I don't think it's cut through apart from his base. I don't think
0: it's cut through. Gabe, picking up on that. This is quite different to any issue, isn't it? In that a lot of political issues only affect a particular subsection of society. Um, you know, healthcare, the medicaid for All, Obamacare, all of that affects people on lower incomes more than other people. There are there are certain sections of society affected differently by different issues. But COVID is an issue that really has dominated the world this year, as we all very much know. It affects everyone, even if you're not you know, medically affected by it, even if you do contract the virus and are asymptomatic or are not um, permanently uh, badly hospitalized. The disruption to the economy, your lifestyle is still significant. So do you think that the reason Trump is, as the polls indicate, doing fairly badly at the moment is because that this issue really has affected everyone. And this is the type of thing you can't lie your way out of. You can't call it fake news when your business has been forced to shut or you've lost your grandmother. Do you think that's probably why? I think, again, that's a good question. I think it's hard to say. Um, if you look at some of the responses, which, um,
1: you know, sort of certainly among, among sort of Trump's base, which, uh, you know, that I think they're still sort of vehemently opposed to this idea of sort of locking down and you can you, you know you only have to look at uh you know Michigan for example with, with Gretchen Whitmer who uh hasn't necessarily sort of locked down the state to the extent that um that a lot of the sort of rhetoric may have claimed and yet um you know some of the sort of vicious backlash uh you know that has that has come against that um you know really is is quite unwarranted. But um I don't I don't quite know. I think I think it's um you know covid covid certainly is is universal in terms of in terms of who it affects but certainly in terms of um you know in in terms of issues which are exacerbated i mean you know this this sort of concept for example of people in in sort of um slightly more more sort of uh, vulnerable work or sort of less secure work um which is often sort of uh, lower waged as well um you know and they're the types of people who are who are really gonna sort of particularly struggle post covid um, and and you know going back to back to Trump and also the Republicans who I think um, uh, you know certainly sort of in I mean I don't I don't know about in you know stateside but but certainly over here I I don't think enough was made of the fact that there is still uh, you know sort of after after the summer essentially there's still been no concrete plan in terms of sort of financial support. Um, which, I mean, I certainly don't think it's particularly unfair or unwarranted to lay at the door of the Republican Party and particularly the president.
0: And you just referenced lockdowns. You have spoke about lockdowns in Michigan specifically. Um, obviously, lockdowns on a national scale have affected the economy hugely. But every time that that is mentioned, Trump is very keen to say that prior to COVID-19 arriving in the US, the US economy was booming. Now, of course, booming is a subjective term. There are a number of ways that you can measure economic success, but it is the case that unemployment was low, very low. And Emma, I'd be really interested to know how people you know, again, obviously you added the caveat that many of your friends are left leaning as are you, and that's absolutely fine. But... What was the perception of Trump's management of the economy prior to COVID? And do you think that when people cast their vote tomorrow or the people who have already casted their vote, do you think that when they're thinking about the issue of the economy, which they doubtlessly will be, they will be kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt saying, well, you know what, it was China's fault that this virus came. And before it arrived, everything was fine. So he'll get us back on track. Do you think that's going to work?
3: I think that's a really interesting question. And I, I honestly would say that I, I can't know, I don't know that for sure, um, that they would look at, at his record, his track record with the economy uh, pre-COVID and then assume that he'd be able to get it back on track post-COVID. I know that personally among myself and my friends and my family, um, we didn't really trust Trump's ability to handle the economy from the start. Um, he sort of tags himself as this businessman who's uh, you know great at making deals and, and is a great negotiator. And sort of throughout his presidency, that's really not been the case. Um, he's terrible at compromising with people. Uh, he refuses to listen to the advice of others. Um, I mean, you see that specifically with, with him refusing to listen to the advice of Dr. Fauci. And he says this is all done in the name of the economy, but uh, you look at his taxes that the New York Times published that report about his taxes. And you see that he's not, he's no businessman, he's just, um, he's really good at, at figuring out loopholes and that doesn't work um, with the U.S. in general. But I think that, uh, I, and I can't remember if it was Gabe or, or Mike who said this before, but I think that his message about bringing back jobs and um, strengthening the economy really speaks to his core base and also speaks to a lot of um, blue collar workers who are sort of divided on whether or not to vote for Trump or Biden. Um, and it's just... It's hard to tell whether or not he'll be able to uh, make an economic recovery uh, if he gets elected again. But the economy is in a really bad place right now. And I think that that is partly due to his refusal to uh, take on stricter COVID measures, which might have prevented us from getting to the spot that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because on this side of the Atlantic, obviously, the economy is also in pretty poor shape. And this weekend... Boris Johnson announced another national lockdown for England, at least. And you know, it, it's really interesting to see that in the U.S., Biden is promoting the idea of lockdowns more, and they're having a bit of a debate. You know, Trump is fairly fairly anti-lockdown now. He says we've got to open up. Biden is seems to be far more caution cautioned about it. um One of the guys from the UK, either Gabe or Mike, what? Do you, do you, can you see that there is a slight absence of a debate around lockdowns in the UK? Obviously, we've had Nigel Farage walk back onto the political scene in the last few days with a new party, which is um, decidedly anti-lockdown. But do you see that there is a difference in the US where they're having a debate about lockdown, whereas the UK where lockdown seems to be the consensus at the moment?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference, I think. I think in America, there's just such polarization now that the president has even politicised wearing a mask Um, there's no consensus from Republicans on science and agreement with it at all. And it is remarkable, the difference between the UK, where we just seem to have accepted a lockdown. It only got announced a few days ago, but we're already now, I suppose. But yeah, I think the Republicans, and particularly the president, and how hyper-polarised it is, they're in a bad way with that.
1: Yeah, it certainly is an interesting uh, sort of comparison to make, I, I mean, I've heard sort of now and again this idea that because we, you know, there have been sort of sporadic protests against against the idea of of a lockdown, you know, now and again, and and this idea that that you know that they're almost a U.S. import, uh, you know, make of that what you will. Um, but certainly in the in the U.S., I mean, it, it, it's interesting to analyze this idea of whether Trump has almost been a sort of cornerstone in allowing sort of dialogue like that to to foster, you know, this this sort of enormous. As you say sort of politicization of of, of wearing a mask switch, which which you know isn't even a new thing i mean it's it's been going on since at least sort of uh the springtime really um you know this this whole sort of hashtag ignite freedom thing that was that was happening sort of in late spring early summer um but but yeah it, it is a sort of an interesting a question to ask i suppose as as to whether you know it's it's a sort of distinctly American uh, sort of uh, debate, let's say, which which the president has, has allowed to, to happen or or whether, you know, whether there are sort of certain points
0: which you can compare between the two nations. Mm. Emma, away from COVID, obviously, there are loads of issues that voters are going to be thinking about. On, I'd be really interested to know, on issues of social significance, so we're talking about LGBT rights, equal marriage, um, the rights to abortion, those kind of things, Obviously, within the last two weeks, Trump has successfully nominated and has now been confirmed a new Supreme Court justice in Amy Amy Coney Barrett. Um, she will be on the court for life. She is forty-eight, so she will have a very lasting impact. Among, if you could approach this from perhaps your more Democrat point of view rather than a political analyst point of view, what what are your hopes and fears, and how much do you think that? the new appointment to the supreme court has affected those kind of issues
3: yeah that's that's a really good question um the appointment of amy coney barrett uh definitely was it it wasn't something that i was i was not surprised by her confirmation given that the senate is republican led sure um, yeah but i was i was certainly disheartened and disappointed um i mean i i loved ruth bader ginsburg i thought she was a wonderful justice uh, and so I mean, I don't know if any of you guys have seen this floating around, but a lot of my friends sort of shared this post um, on Instagram saying, you know, like Amy Coney Barrett walked through every door that Ruth Bader Ginsburg opened just so that she could close it behind her. Um, so I think mm. that there's really just a sense of, of disheartenment and, um, and, and disillusionment with uh, the justice system. Um, I'm in a class this semester about women and politics um, and so we've talked extensively about Amy Coney Barrett's nomination um, and just how um, it's really interesting, um, not not necessarily surprising that Trump nominated a woman to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but how um, people tend to look at women uh, in politics and really think about them in terms of, of women's issues um, and not in terms of their positions on other issues. And so one thing that's been talked about a lot with Amy Coney Barrett is her position on women's issues like abortion, um, and LGBT rights, which isn't necessarily a woman's issue, but um, a more social issue, and not necessarily her position on um, fiscal policies. Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, Supreme Court. I think there's a Supreme Court case coming up having to do with um, you know big big company monopolies like Google, and Apple, and things like that. Nobody's really talked about her um, her stance on those issues. So I think that her her confirmation wasn't surprising and it's also going to be really interesting to see what happens if Biden gets elected because um, he's sort of hinted at and then dodged the question of whether he'll pack the courts um, so that she, to sort of overweigh her, maybe that's not the right word choice, but to sort of
0: to to put more liberal justice on the court so that her conservative vote is kind of worth less if you like.
3: Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, I think regardless of what happens with the election, um, the Supreme Court has taken like a decidedly um, right, turn turn to the right, um, which is especially disheartening for um, I think a lot of people, um, especially Democrats, because the I, I believe five of the six conservative Supreme Court justices were nominated by presidents who did not win the popular vote.
0: Wow, that's a astonishing fact, actually. Um... Well, we must we must move on. But just on the last point on some of the issues affecting the election, turning to foreign policy it's really interesting. Obviously, a lot of our listeners will be from the UK. It's really interesting that we're now approaching the basically the final Brexit deadline in that we need to get a deal before the 31st of December if we want to leave the EU with um, a, a deal rather than a no deal arrangement. Um, Gabe, do you th- how do you think the future relationship between the UK and the US would develop differently between Johnson and Trump versus Johnson and Biden? It's an interesting one. Um, it's, it's obviously, as you say,
1: um, hard to gauge given that you know inauguration date will be will be sort of January time. But but it, it is interesting. I, I certainly I, I personally still think it's quite unclear. Um, you know, even having had Trump uh sort of in place for the last four years and, and of course johnson for the last year or so um you know there there hasn't seemed to be any sort of standout progress let's say you know besides the sort of speculation on chlorinated chicken and and all that jazz um so it it, it, it will be an interesting one i think i think obviously politically uh johnson and trump are perhaps more aligned and uh, you know, will perhaps sort of relish uh, trying to thrash out a deal far more than than with a Biden presidency. He'll perhaps, you know, Biden will perhaps sort of favour, um, you know, sort of repairing the damage that that Trump has done with the EU, for example. Um, You know, I know that the Irish border was a particularly thorny issue uh, for for Biden and for Nancy Pelosi, for example, as well. Um, So that there are, you know, as as with any issue, there are a million and one caveats. um, And and it, it will be interesting to see. But I mean, you know, without without sounding too pessimistic, I think that, that either way, um, you know, Johnson will have to approach, approach whoever, you know, whoever the president will be, whether it's 45 or 46, um, you know, with with a degree of desperation, given uh, given the timing of, of the inauguration.
0: OK, so moving on, let's talk about the kind of nature of this election in that obviously we've just had a, a lengthy discussion about Covid. So things are very, very different this year. A lot of people are voting by mail. I believe it's called absentee voting. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Emma. But a lot of people have voted by mail. Way over 50 million people which, you know, in a UK context is just crazy. That's more than the number of people who would ever vote in a general election here. So it's a huge number of people. Um, Three states have actually had more people already vote before election day than voted in those states overall in 2016. So it's huge numbers. Um, Emma, do you think that this huge mail-in turnout is simply the result of COVID in that people don't want to be going to crowded polling stations on the day, or do you think that this is a high turnout election?
3: Um, I think it's a little bit of both, to be, to be honest. I think that, um, I mean, I personally voted uh, with an absentee ballot, uh, it was mailed to my apartment, and then I went and dropped it off at the Board of Elections in my county because I was a little nervous about it getting there. Through <laughs> the mail with all of the delays that have been happening lately, um, but I think that because of COVID more people than ever are going to be voting using a mail or an absentee ballot and I think that also people are voting a lot more um, because this is a really important election and I feel like people say that every time I feel like every time there's an election people say oh this is the most important election mm-hmm. you know this is defining a generation
0: yeah don't worry they do that here too <laughs> it's not just that <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I think I really think that people are turning out a lot more to this election and I don't know if it's if it's solely because of COVID or if it's because people are, are sick of Trump if, they'd, if they've had enough of him. Um, but from a, from a democracy standpoint, it's really exciting to see the turnout be so high. And I hope that it, it continues to uh, follow that trend and, and that when they're counting the votes on election day, we find out that there's been um, like a historic turnout because I think that that really bodes well for like the nature of the democracy um, of the United States, because it doesn't really work if people aren't turning out to vote. I mean, I think in, in the past, like less than half of the country has actually voted. So hopefully that's different this time around.
0: Mike, do you think that it was inevitable that if Donald Trump was behind, significantly behind in the polls uh, come the 2020 election, do you think it was inevitable that he would be talking up claims of voter fraud and meddling with elections? Do you think oh, just Of course, his it's 100%. Character?
2: You knew as soon as you saw <clears throat> some of the uh, double-digit leads that Biden had that he was going to start attacking uh, the electoral infrastructure, and it is really, really damaging now because there's a palpable sense of sort of anxiety and fear now um, in the states, or certainly from what I'm, I've gathered about the, you know the prospect of political violence if um, if there was a, if there was a contested result. Um, I was at a webinar today, and one of my uh, politics lecturers said he's absolutely certain that. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night—that there'll be violence in DC—and I just think that is hugely, hugely damaging. And you can trace it almost entirely back to the president.
0: Yeah, I mean, Gabe, okay, if I can bring you in on that. Sure. Actually, my um, my sister has a friend who lives in New York, and she she actually texted her today to say that you know her her flat building is putting in extra precautions she says all the shops are boarded up i've seen pictures of all the um, restaurants and shops in dc completely boarded up some cities have banned the sale of guns i believe because they fear it that much this isn't normal if i if i can use that word you know this this is the us which prides itself on having a peaceful transfer of power following free and fair elections um do you think this is the result of donald trump or do you think something else is happening?
1: Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, what's what's certain is is that Donald Trump has has pushed the boundaries more than any. I I, I certainly believe more more than any president in living memory. Um, right. You know. I mean. I mean. In terms of it, you know as 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 we've identified in terms of the rhetoric which you know which uh which we've heard under his under his presidency and which which has been encouraged and this you know as you guys quite correctly identify you know this this sort of um almost poking the bear and then stepping back once uh you know once the reaction unfolds um mm. but no certainly i think i think that um but but then i i think that it's it's you know the party that has developed around him as well i mean i mean what you know if you want to sort of examine the the individual sort of factors in in why you know u s democracy is decaying you know you can you can point to for example the increased uh sort of politicization of the supreme court you know which which um hasn 't certainly you know certainly hasn 't sort of single handedly been been trump but but certainly in terms of i mean since he took off i mean even even in the 2016 election you know these these claims of sort of um the extent to which he took it personally almost that like he lost the popular vote and was sort of Going on about about sort of voter fraud since since day one essentially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so I guess if you're being generous, you would say, well, he's shaking up the system. He's not respecting norms as he was apparently elected to do. And if you're being far more critical, you would say, well, actually, he's posing a real danger to democracy in that people are fearful that the legitimate result will be challenged. It's a really weird situation to be in. And Emma, can you just explain something to to our UK audience in particular? Um, so in our during our general elections um each seat counts the votes someone then comes on tv in that area and announces who got that many votes and then they win that seat it's is that simple but it's all state based in in the u s isn 't it so certain states start counting their mail in votes before election day um certain votes aren 't allowed to do that certain states aren 't allowed to do that um, and is that why a lot of people have been saying that we might not might not necessarily get a result on tuesday night
3: yeah I think you're that that sounds great right to me i 'm um, obviously not an expert on um, every state's electoral policies but no of course of course (laughs) but um yeah it's pretty much every state will count the votes that they receive and then report that total and I'm sure you all have heard loads about the electoral college um, because the way that the U.S. determines the vote is there's there's a popular vote but there's also the electoral college vote and the electoral college vote is the one that determines the winner in the end Um, sure
0: and just just for the listeners just towards the end of the episode i'll be giving a quick explainer on the electoral college just so you know what to look out for tomorrow um let's let's just hypothesize let's say that biden wins how how do we think trump is going to take that is in terms of not in the long term we'll, we'll come on to that but just in the next week two weeks perhaps if we're going by the standard of the 2000 election um, perhaps the next month or two. How do you think Trump is going to react, um, Gabe? Do you want to come in? Sure. Um, well, yeah. I mean, as as we've mentioned, I mean, it it, it goes
1: back to um, you know the, this sort of outright refusal from from Donald Trump. You know, this this sort of unprecedented uh, reluctance to uh, you know to commit to a peaceful transfer of power, which you know, I mean, you don't you don't have to be necessarily a skeptic to to be highly highly concerned about you know, about any sort of candidate let alone the incumbent president uh sort of failing to do so I mean no 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 one knows um you know but but all the hallmarks are there um I mean the the worrying thing certainly is that I I don't think that any election since, um, well, any, but any election ever s- certainly has has sort of pre-election, uh, sort of had so many mentions of of sort of legalities and and court, you know, potential court action, you know. I, I mean, two thousand with with Gore and and Bush was was so sort of uh, you know, it, it's still sort of so infamous and and you know, and ironically, um, Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh and I think um, one other um supreme court justice um were, were actually involved in the in the counting process for that but yeah no one knows i mean i mean there's you know there is there is enormous uncertainty and and it, it's just uh another hammer to democracy which which trump is prepared to to apply
0: and mike you said you, you study politics at uni so do i and one of the things i love looking at sometimes so this is the right political nerd moment switch so off <laughs> if you like but is there sort of the, some of the crazy rules in the constitution that you don't really know about so for example if there is no legitimately recognized newly elected president by inauguration day this thing kicks in called the line of succession in which um that there, there's a certain ranking of people who become and you know there's a there's a possibility that Nancy Pelosi being the third most senior politician in the US after the president and vice president, Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. Mm. Um, She would become president. It's just, there would just be so many things in the Trump era, which four or five years ago, we would have thought, oh, that's not gonna happen. When we just kind of have to think, well, might it? (laughs) It
2: is is remarkable. Just to um, add to what uh, Gabe was saying before, um, I think it really depends on the margin of Biden's victory whether Trump's sure reaction will be anything right, other yeah. than a Biden landslide. I think, and he's going to try and contest the result politically, legally. We know he's got Amy Coney Barrett on the core. So if it's if it's a small margin, then I 100% expect him to contest the result. He might prematurely call the election, call Florida if he perceives himself to be ahead, and I think that's when we're in really, really dangerous
0: territory. Yeah, and I would just add from like a journalistic point of view that I think TV networks um, in the US and and in the UK, but mainly in the US, are going to have a massive responsibility on Tuesday night to just keep a cool head, see the results as they're coming in. And, you know, this is going to be basically the ultimate test of fake news and media scrutiny in that if Trump tweets, I've won Florida or I've won Pennsylvania, unless the votes show that... I think the TV networks have a really, really important responsibility to report that not as fact, but as a political statement, which is not yet evidenced. But that's going to be really interesting. Um, just finally, if let's look to the future beyond the election and the direction of each of the two parties, the Republicans and the Democrats. Um, Emma, as, as a Democrat, obviously I don't know if Biden was your first choice as a candidate. He, he might have been. He might not. But Let's say he does. In the event that Biden wins, where do you think the Democrats will be in 2024? It's probably unlikely Biden will stand again. Do you think we're looking for a more establishment figure such as perhaps Vice President Kamala Harris running? Or do you think the the more left wing of the Democratic Party, the AOCs, the Ilhan Omar's will get a tighter grip in the future?
3: You know, I think that's a really interesting question. And I would say it's almost too early to tell from my perspective. I think it really depends on how this election goes. I mean, I think if Biden were to win, if Trump, uh, you know, eventually concedes, I think that no matter what, he's going to demand a recount. Um, I think that Biden is is a really centrist candidate, which has sort of gotten lost um, in all of the rhetoric of this election. Trump is really sort of promoting him as this far left uh, like even even further left than, you know, like Bernie Sanders and all of these people, which is just ridiculous, to me.
0: which is just r- crazy, isn't it?
3: <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculous. Biden is about as centrist as they come uh, from my perspective. Um, and I, I think that the Democratic Party in this election and presumably in 2024 as well, unless their support base changes dramatically after the outcome of this election, is still going to have to try and strike that balance between appealing to those middle ground Voters who who want the centrist candidate, who um, who who look at Trump and Biden and are trying to decide between them, as opposed to those whose voters, those voters who are far more left leaning, and not necessarily even like far far left, just more left of center, um, who are voting for Biden no matter what because they 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 hate Trump so much, um, and I think that that's the balance they're trying to strike right now is trying to find the middle ground between those voters who want a centrist candidate and those voters who want to see more more uh, policies like those that AOC and others have been promoting. And I think that that in general is sort of a detriment to the two party system that we have in the US um, that, we, that we've sort of always had where it's really difficult for third party um, candidates who aren't sort of from Democrat or Republican sides uh, to yeah. have a voice in politics um, because those people who Uh, are on the
0: fringes sort of aren't represented sure um gabe i think it's really interesting the the rise of aoc alexandra ocasio cortez Mm -hmm. who is a member of the house of representatives um in a way she sort of represents what trump trump represents on the right in that she's a fantastic orator she has some views and some policies which some in the US view as very, very far left. In a UK context, they wouldn't necessarily be that extreme. Mm. But, you know, do do you think that the left kind of needs their own Trump? Is AOC that person? <laughs> is there someone else? Is it Oprah Winfrey? I, is, um, is that what they need in 2020? No, I, I, well
1: I mean first of all in in terms of sort of calling uh you know Alexandria because uh the left's Trump I mean <laughs> I suppose um I you know I, I obviously see where you're coming from I mean obviously the, the wording of it might might be a little bit sort of uh you know not not to the palate of a lot of people on the left uh or indeed to just democratic generally no I, I I do think that perhaps you know that it, she you know she has emerged sort of in the last year or so as as an extremely um you know as you say a, a fantastic public speaker um, but but someone with with certainly a lot of integrity uh you know behind that um you know i I think that that to be to you know to be perfectly honest I, I think that that's where a lot of uh, a lot of her popularity has come from the fact that you know she she's very open about uh about her background you know i mean the um you know some of some of the sort of very cheap insults that that came her way about her you know about her previous employment for example when she first uh you know entered uh you know mainstream u s politics you know and she, and and she, you know she's sort of reversed that in a way you know she's she's very much sort of taken ownership of that um mm. but but in in terms of you know her her sort of likelihood, I I think it's extremely likely. I think that um, you know that again the fact that um, you know she she has very much sort of to her advantage. I mean even by the way her you know the the sort of situation by which she uh, sort of entered you know the the House of Representatives in the first place. The fact that you know she she took on uh, a very much established member of Parliament in uh, oh sorry member of the House even in New York and. Um, you know, and was and was successful in doing so, um, you know, and and, and hasn't sort of hasn't sort of ceased attempting to to sort of enact her, her various sort of um certainly sort of more more left-wing viewpoints, which I think is very, very refreshing.
0: And okay, so turning to the Republicans for a minute. Um Gabe, you said earlier on that basically the Republican Party is one that has developed around Trump now. And I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think I, whether it's a Trump win or a Trump lose, I think the Republican Party are in a real state of disarray in that who on earth takes over the reins in 2024? Mm-hmm. Um, well, technically, firstly, if Trump loses, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that he has the right to run again. He, there's nothing stopping him seeking a, a non-consecutive term. So, so let's park that for a moment. But if he, if he, if he loses and he doesn't run, where where are the Republicans at? Um
1: <laughs> uh, well again, who knows? I mean I mean it, it's very difficult to say what's what's for certain is that the Republican Party have utterly embarrassed themselves, you know, be it be it lindsey Graham's uh sort of U-turns on a more than consistent basis, uh, you know, first on the Supreme Court justices and then calling Trump uh I think a race baiting religious kook or something along those lines and um, you know, likewise with Ted Cruz, with Marco Rubio, who even today was, you know, was was very very happy to to um, to appear alongside Trump. And and you know, I think I think that that you know that entire exhibit sort of uh, showcases a real a real sort of dangerously pervasive influence that Trump has had. And and to be perfectly honest, I think I think in in any other situation it would be impossible to to shake off the the legacy of something like that and yet you know i i still you know there's still this unknown that that you know given the 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 sheer magnitude of the influence that that trump has had over us politics over the last sort of well five years really since he first announced his, his candidacy you know his candidacy it, it will be interesting to see sort of how much of an effect that will have you know sort of uh negatively let's say on on the future of the republican party
0: yeah i, th- I think you're right i think obviously the democrats are going to be so interesting to follow but i think the republicans is where the real political drama is going to be at in the next four years and that if he w- if he loses sorry firstly i think he definitely will run again if he wins I don't know who takes over the reins with I just cannot see Mike Pence or even Ivanka or Donald Trump Jr. I can't see any of them having the impact that he does, and that that's going to be so so interesting to follow. Um, anyway, guys, that has been a really really interesting chat. Thank you so much for joining us. Just before we go, is anyone prepared to give their gut feeling about what's happening <laughs> this week? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, American perspective, You've got any idea what's coming, do you think?
3: Well, I can say that I'm I'm hopeful that Biden's going to win. I don't know if you guys uh, in the UK know about this, like, 538 website that uh, this guy named Nate Silver yeah. put together. Yes. I've been checking yeah. that recently, yeah. So he's he's giving Biden a 90% chance of winning. Uh, obviously, the polls are wrong last time. They can be wrong again. But I've had a couple of my, my political science professors also come out and say that they... They're, they think that Biden's got a pretty good shot at it. Um, I I'm trying not to put, not to put too much stock in all of the polls, um, but mm-hmm. I I'm definitely hopeful for a Biden victory.
1: Mike, yeah, I think thoughts? the the
2: polls have been so sort of strikingly stable for Biden through social unrest, the pandemic, everything. So I I can't see now um, Biden losing it. So tentatively, I think it's going to be a Biden win. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean. Um, I I feel like it's sort of dangerous to say, I mean, uh, it's certainly sort of the right thing to do to say that, you know, to be cautious about the potential result, but to sort of immediately sort of say that it will be a close election might sort of in a a sort of perverse way help Trump's cause, you know, should he sort of uh, be very eager to to get involved with litigation. But but I think that, you know, the difference, for example, between this and 2016, you know, with, with Hillary Clinton is that. You know, Biden has has averaged a far sort of larger lead. I think it's something like eight points uh, going into going into tomorrow's election. Um, you know, which which ought to be a far more stable lead. I mean, I mean, the margin of error would have to be so enormous. You know, and I and I certainly hope that that Biden has a very decent chance. Yeah,
0: yeah. so and interesting. Just Look, oh, go for
3: just it. Yeah. Sort of add on to that really quickly. Um, another thing that people have been talking about here is sort of how in twenty sixteen Trump was was very much an unknown. And now we've had four years of his presidency. Um, And so it's kind of unclear if he was able to draw on any, like a a base for any new voters in this election, but there's certainly been a good group of people, it seems like from reading the news who have become dissuaded from him after experiencing four years of his leadership.
0: I think that's such an interesting point. And on that note, look, guys, thank you so much for joining us. This has been brilliant. Hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you all be coming back very soon. thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. See you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, I thought that was such an interesting chat. I really, really enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. Um, Yeah, it was so good to see that sort of American perspective with Emma there. yeah just to get a sort of gut feeling on everything to because when you're in a different country you can't really sense the public mood somewhere else can you um and obviously looking at it from a UK perspective because this election doesn't just affect America it affects the whole world so it was great to talk about that as well so yeah I really enjoyed it just for these last few minutes I think I'm just going to talk briefly about election night itself whether you're staying up or not um no comment whether i will be or not i think you can probably guess um (laughs) basically what to watch for on election night and how the election works because there's it's a, a ridiculously confusing system that america has when it comes to presidential elections so just briefly it's all about the electoral college vote as emma was speaking about earlier in the podcast um so of course america is split up into its 50 states and each of those states is allocated a number of electoral college votes. I mean, the word vote is perhaps a little bit misleading in this. It's basically a number of points that each state have, and it's based on population. So California, with its population of 40 million people, has 55 votes. That's a huge number. Oklahoma has a population of just 4 million people, so it only has seven votes. Now, I know mathematically that isn't proportional, and there's been a Long debate in the US about that reforms the electoral college because it slightly underrepresent, in fact, significantly underrepresents people in uh, urban areas. But that's a debate for another day. Basically, each state has a set number of electoral college votes. The larger the state by population, the more votes they have. Now, you do not win the election by getting the most number of votes. That's a lesson that Hillary Clinton learned very well in 2016. She received 3 million more votes than Donald Trump, but she didn't win because those votes were not in the right places. So you win by getting a majority of the electoral college votes or the electoral college points, whatever you want to call them. And there's a total of 538. So you win by getting 270 electoral college votes. If there's one thing you want to remember about election night, or even if you're not staying up all night, just watching in the evening, if there's one thing, you kind of want to be thinking about all evening like who's winning, who's doing well. Think about that number, 270. Once you get to 270 electoral college votes, you've won. The presidency is yours. So this is why so much of the campaigning is focused in what we call swing states. Now, you can compare this to a UK context. In the UK, we have a number of seats in general elections which are safely conservative or safely labor. You know, a lot of seats in central Liverpool or central London, they are safely Labour. The Conservatives or any other party are not going to win. The same can be said for many of this, the seats in some of the Shire areas around London and in the southeast for the Conservatives, where no other party has much of a chance of winning. It's the same in the US. So California is strongly Democrat. Donald Trump cannot touch California. So the 55 Electoral College votes that I spoke about for California are in joe biden's tally that is pretty much about as certain as you can get the same for states like new york or illinois they will be going democrat of course the same thing can be said for many republican states so oklahoma alabama tennessee these places are deep red states which trump can guarantee will go in his column so it's not those states that you focus on what you focus on in the US election is the states where it's unsure, the states that change from election to election. So these are places that I'm sure you'll hear on the news, not just on election night, but all throughout the election. So they are, Florida is the big one, Um, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, places where they've been Democrat in the past and they've been Republican in the past. And basically who wins those states becomes the winner. So what you look out for is basically the the, the big ones that come in. So if, if, for example, on election night, we see that Trump wins Florida, that's 29 electoral college votes. That's a really big number. Let's say he then goes on to win Pennsylvania. That's 20 electoral college votes. And let's say, for example, he then goes on to win North Carolina. That's 16 electoral college votes. Those are three huge wins that will go into his tally, And that will probably push him towards the 270 mark. Similarly, if Joe Biden sort of undoes the work of Hillary Clinton in 2016, they lost a lot of the upper Midwest, the Rust Belt states, places like Michigan, Wisconsin. If Joe Biden manages to get those back, if Joe Biden starts winning Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is going to be very, very crucial, then it's going to be looking very, very good for him. Now, there, are, there could be a few surprises. Georgia, I, I mentioned Georgia in the list of swing states. It's not typically a swing state. Georgia has typically been deep red. But Joe Biden was there just last week. And, you know, he may be slightly older, but the people running his campaign are not stupid. They would not be visiting Georgia unless they had some pretty strong private polling that indicated that Georgia was within reach for Joe Biden. So potentially that. Some people are even talking about Texas, which has been red for a very very long time going blue. I'm not sure if those claims or predictions are particularly um, viable. I I think they might be slightly over exaggerated especially in the case of Texas. I mean if Texas goes to Joe Biden, Texas has 38 Electoral College votes. It, th- there's really nothing Donald Trump can do if we get into that situation. So that's basically what you're watching for. In terms of timing, The obviously the US is behind us uh, in terms of time zones. So states will only start to close their polls That's sort of between midnight and 2 a.m. here on uh, Tuesday evening. I think Georgia and North Carolina will be first to close And then places like Ohio and Florida. So those places will be coming in just a few hours after that. But you must bear in mind that as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, this year is quite different in that a huge number of people are voting by mail. So this is what's going to happen on election night. It's quite likely that the votes cast on the day in person on November 3rd will be the ones that are counted first. And given that Trump has sowed a lot of doubt in the mail-in voting system, a lot of Republicans are unwilling to go and to vote by mail. So they're going to be voting in person. So a lot of the votes that they count first, i.e. the ones cast on the day, will be Republican. So what you're going to see is a state such as Pennsylvania, for example, count, start counting all of its votes that were cast on the day, And as those are being counted, we're going to see a big Republican lead for Donald Trump emerge. Now, when they then get to the task of counting all the mail-in votes, because some states are allowed to count the mail-in votes before election day and some states aren't, once they start counting the mail-in votes, then it's likely the more Democrat votes will come in. The issue is going to be whether either candidate tries to declare victory before all the votes are counted. And as you know, I, I did say this earlier. It's going to be a huge challenge for the TV networks to try and balance that one. What do they report as fact, and what do they report as a political statement? And that will be up to them. So that's how the system works. That's what election night is going to be. Um, I do hope this has helped. I hope you found this episode interesting. I hope I haven't bored you at all. I hope I haven't waffled <laughs> too much. But yeah, hopefully we're going to be back. Just after the election, a couple of days, probably later on this week, um, with another special episode. I'm hoping, we'll hope Eve will be back by then. I'm sure she will be. And yeah, enjoy. You might be listening to this on election day, in which case this will all make perfect sense. And if you're listening to this later in the week, then, well, you can view everything I've just said with 2020 hindsight, can't you? So yeah, um, thank you so much for your company. Hope you enjoyed it. And as I say, we'll be back very soon. Goodbye.